Take your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We're focusing today on verse 13 and 14. We are in the midst of a series we began last Sunday titled The Weapons of Spiritual Warfare. How do we overcome wickedness in the world today? I mean, you look at the landscape of society and you, you will not um, be long in finding many reasons uh, to be discouraged, many reasons to be concerned, many reasons to feel a sense of dismay about the direction of our world, the direction of our society. And, and the reality is, is that while we could respond with uh, despondency, while we could respond with despair, um, we, are, we are called in the scriptures not to. We are called in the scriptures to be, um, to be reactive, uh, to be not, not, not even just reactive, but proactive in our response to what's happening in our world and to be willing to be catalysts that God can use to help effect change in our society again. I've titled today's message on truth we stand and we're going to focus on uh, the first of several elements of what the Apostle Paul refers to as the armor of God. Everybody say the armor of God. Paul says that in our fight against the, the, uh, the spiritual forces of wickedness or of evil in the world today, that there, is, there, there are tools that God has made available to every believer um, that will enable us to be able to stand against the enemy. In, in suggesting this, Paul is making the case to you and I that the reality is, is that you know, with everything that we may see happening around us, understand that there is a spiritual influence behind it all. And, and our ability to overcome the influence of, you know, these, these uh, you know, e- uh, spiritual evils is, is, is not going to be us employing our own abilities, our own skills or talents or, 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 or willpower. It, re- it will involve you and I being totally submissive to God and allowing God to equip us with what we need to do what he's called us to do. Um, how many of you know what happens on June the 1st? Every year, June the 1st begin, marks the beginning of what? Can somebody tell me what it is? Say it again. Hurricane season. Who said hurricane season? All right. Very good. Very good. J- June the 1st, every year, from June the 1st to November the 30th, is considered hurricane season. Right? And of course, you know, we're here in Houston. We are very familiar with hurricanes. Um, I still remember when Tommy was still a baby. I remember, I think it might have been Hurricane Ike that came through. And I remember we had gone to bed the night before and woke up in the middle of the night and it was storming so bad. You know, our, our bedroom was on the second floor. So, of course, you know, all that rain is beating on the roof, you know, hail and all that stuff that was going on. And I woke up, in a, you know, just startled, just just scared at just the, 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 the magnitude of just... You know, the, the loudness of the wind and, and the storm and how I was beating on the roof. And, and a part of me kept thinking, hmm, am I going to have to wake my wife and daughter up and move them to one of the closets? Because it looks like this house is not going to stand. I mean, but of course, you know, we made it through the storm. Um, but I remember every year, you know, when June 1st comes around or even before June 1st, you start to hear on the news. They're talking about hurricane season is approaching. Start to prepare. And every one of these new, news outlets will tell you that you should buy a what they call a hurricane preparedness kit. Right. And it has a bunch of items in it, you know, including water, flashlight, batteries, um, you know, you know, some, you know, um, non-perishable kind of food that you can eat that won't won't expire. And and all of this is with this idea that if a storm does come through um, and you lose power or you lose access to drinking water or you lose access to 
uh, the ability to be able to maybe charge your phone so you can be able to stay in contact with loved ones, um, that you have to have these items in place so that you are prepared, right? So we are, we are taught, you know, living in Houston or living in the Gulf Coast to always prepare ourselves in the event that a hurricane comes through, right? Now, of course, you know, you know, God has been great, very merciful to us. I mean, we've gone, you know, several years in between major storms. But the thing is, just because we've gone through several, several years without a major storm does not mean that we should not prepare ourselves every single time hurricane season comes around. Because it would be very easy for us to say, well, we've not had a major storm the last two or three years, so what's the point of getting ready? No, it may be that the moment you decide that you're not going to get ready is when a storm comes through. And God forbid that we ever be caught off guard or caught unaware or unprepared to engage something that, 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 that we should have been, been prepared for. In the same sense, the Bible makes it clear to us that there is a struggle, there is a confrontation that we are involved with. Because we are uh, sons and daughters of God, we are children of God, and it is, a, it is a confrontation, it is a conflict that we don't have the choice to be neutral about. We can't say, well, God, I'm just going to stay on the sidelines. You and Satan handle your business. And when you guys are done, then I can come back into the picture. No, we are part of this fight. And because we are part of this fight, because we are God's children, there's tools that God has made available to you and I so that you and I can be, be, be prepared. Because here's the reality. Um, the, the attack of the enemy is not a matter of if. It is simply a matter of when. Because the scripture makes it clear, and we, we, we shared this last Sunday, uh, the Bible says, describes Satan as a uh, roaring lion who is prowling. The idea of a prowling, prowling lion or a prowling uh, predator is that they're stalking, right? You know, they don't just sit and just wait. I mean, they're stalking when they're always looking for an opportunity to pounce, to devour, to take advantage. Um, of, a, of a weaker opponent. And so the enemy, the Bible tells us, is constantly looking for an opportunity to trip you and I up spiritually. And so we cannot let our guard down or assume that because we are in Christ, then we are secure, we are safe, and that somehow we are immune from going through, from being attacked by the enemy. We must be prepared. It was Benjamin Franklin who coined this very famous phrase. You've probably heard this before. He said, when you fail to plan, you what? You plan to fail. I mean, as young as we, as we can remember, we've been taught the importance of preparing ourselves, right? You know, you know a test is coming. You're a student. You know a test is coming. You don't wait till the day before to start studying. You're going to fail. You know, you have an interview, you know, coming up, you know, the day before. It's not that night that you start to decide you want to go figure out what you're going to wear. Or you want to just try to figure out the night before or, or the morning of, where am I actually supposed to even be going to get to, to do this interview? You prepare, you plan ahead so that you don't find yourself in a situation where you end up failing. Why? Because you did not plan. And in Ephesians 6, verse 13 and 14, we see Paul focus on the role that preparation plays in yours and my ability to stand in the fight against Satan. So I want us to focus on verse 13. Paul says, therefore, everybody say, therefore. Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, Paul says, to stand. Paul says, knowing that, you know, we are in this spiritual fight against, you know, spiritual influences that seek to undermine the will, the purpose and plan of God for your life and my life and for our world. That you and I have to be mindful of the importance of being prepared for the enemy so that when he comes, again, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
but that when he shows up at our doorstep that we are ready to engage him that we're not we're not look, we're not making excuses for why we cannot engage the enemy why because everything god makes available to us is able to help us to overpower the enemy there are three certainties about our fight against wickedness that we see in this verse i just read before we jump into verse 14. paul says number one the day of evil will come number two paul says it is possible for you and i to stand up to evil without yielding to evil and number three what is needed to resist evil is available to us it is already available to us again the day of evil will come it is possible to stand up to evil without having to give in to it. Sometimes there's this perception that, we talked about this last week, where one of the lies that Satan lies, tries to convince us of is the fact that we are powerless against him. That there's nothing we can do about his attacks or, his, or, his, or, his, or, his, or his, the pressures he puts on us. No, we have the ability, friends, to not yield into his pressure. But it's not in our own strength or power that we do so. We do so in the power that God makes available to us. But aren't you grateful this morning that God doesn't have us waiting or God doesn't have us looking and looking and looking or jumping through hoops? God has made that powerful power available to us. It is up to us to avail ourselves of that power. And this is how Paul says we are to do this beginning in verse 14. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Paul says we are to stand firm and the way we stand firm is that we are to have the belt of truth buckled around our waist. Now, of course, you know, when you look at fashion today compared to fashion in Paul's time, you know, the the type of clothing was very, very different. But there are very, 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 there's a lot of similarities with the function of particular, you know, pieces of garment that they wore back then and as, as we wear today. You know, back then, you know, even though they didn't wear pants, you know, shirts, T-shirts, shorts, that kind of thing like we do today. But a belt was a very important part of their clothing because what happened with a belt was that a belt helped to keep their clothes fitted. You know, can you imagine if you're walking around with a robe and maybe you had to run or you had to do something physical or something that required a lot of movement? And you had this robe that just constantly just flailing all over the place. I mean, it, 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 it tends to get in the way, does it not? Right. And so, so that bell was almost in a sense to help them be more fitted so that they could be free to do whatever they needed to do. In the same way, the scripture makes it clear to us that this, 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 this belt of truth that we are called to put on is what prepares us to engage the enemy. It is what equips us to be able to stand against Satan. Here's the, the point I want to make this morning. Your most useful counter, the most useful counter that you have to Satan's con is to know truth the most effective tool that you and i have to engage the enemy's lies is the truth of god's word what is truth the official definition of the word truth is that it is a verified or indisputable fact proposition principle or the like there are two things that you see noted here in this definition that truth by definition is something that is verified but it is also indisputable. Here's the thing about truth, for it to be truth. If truth is to be true, then it has to have this tag with it. It has to be absolute. Truth that is not absolute is not really truth. It is opinion. It is preference. Why? Because truth must be true at all times. Truth must be true in every place. Truth must be true no matter the circumstance. 
The challenge we have in our world today is that people want to redefine truths based on what fits their own preference. I remember years ago, one famous celebrity, I will not mention her name, coined the phrase, your truth. And that phrase came to be understood to mean that every individual has the right to define what is truth for them. And that what you say is true for you does not necessarily have to be true for me. And that what I say is true for me does not have to be true for you. But here's the problem with that. If my version of truth is different from your version of truth, then what is true? Essentially, everyone is lying. Everyone is misguided. Everyone is misdirected, right? There is no, there are no, there, there aren't different types of truth. There is only one definition of truth. But here's the other thing. Because, again, it is human nature to want to define truth as it suits us, then the reality is that it is not our call what is true and what is not true. Only one person has a right to define truth, and that one person is God. And if our truth does not conform with His truth, then He is true, we are in error. But here's what the Word is trying to do. Because the world recognizes that in order for it to be able to hold on to its own version of truth, by rejecting God's version of truth, then what is society doing? If not to simply either discount God, minimize God, nullify God, or make God completely irrelevant. If we if we're able to successfully get God out of the picture, then it can be easy for us to justify doing whatever we want. But here's the thing. There is nothing you and I can do to ever take God out of the picture. He was here before we showed up. And when we are gone, he will still be here. The reality is, is he defines what is true. And it is our job to conform to his definition of truth. You know, we look at the phrase one plus one equals two, right? And, and of course, you know, if a person comes to you and says, hey, I believe one plus one equals three, we're going to look at them like either you are being deliberately ignorant or you are trying to be deceptive. And the reality is, is we all know that when you take a single unit and you add it to another single unit, you bring them together, it makes what? Two. One and one does not make three. No matter how much I want it to be three, it will never be three. No matter how much I want one and absolute truth to conform to my image, it will never conform to my image. I'm the one that has to conform to the image of truth for what it represents. In a theological sense, when we talk about truth, and we're talking about truth that is based on what our Creator has revealed to us about His nature, design, and will, it is important that you and I learn to realize that from God's point of view, truth refers to that which He defines as real, what God defines as trustworthy, as dependable, as genuine, or as valid. In other words, friends, truth is the expression of reality as God sees it. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I want. Truth is truth because it is what God says it is. This is why I said this last week. Satan's tactic has always been to try to reduce God to an image that falls short of who he really is. Because his goal is to redefine reality in yours and my eyes. If he can minimize God, if he can get us to see God as less than who he is, then we will be able to easily embrace that which is not truth 
but yet believe for whatever reason that it is true. You look in the scripture, we see him do this over and over. He did it in the garden when he convinced Adam and Eve that eating the forbidden fruit was going to elevate them to the status of equality with God. He did this with Peter. The night that Christ was betrayed, remember when Jesus was talking about the fact that the Son of Man would be would suffer at the hands of the religious elite, he would be put to death, and then on the third day he would be raised to life. Peter, believing that he was doing Christ a favor, got in his face and said, No, far be it from you to have to go through such a thing. And what were the words of our Savior to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Because Jesus understood that behind that statement was a spiritual influence that had blinded Peter's eyes to the reality of why Christ really came. Like so many of his time, Peter believed that Jesus as the Messiah came to liberate the people of Israel from their Roman oppressors. He did not realize that what Christ came to do was so much, much bigger than trying to liberate one particular group of people. He came to save the world. And it wouldn't be until much later that Peter realized that what Christ came to really do was to pay sin, the humanity's sin debt in full. Satan, in fact, Bible, remember, remember this story in the beginning of Christ's ministry. In fact, before he started his ministry, Satan tried to do this with Jesus. Remember? Forty days and nights in the wilderness, he has not eaten, he has not drank anything, and he comes out of this experience and he is hungry. And Satan sees an opportunity to take advantage. And Satan tries to convince Jesus um, by casting doubt on his divinity. If you are the Son of God, Command this bread to this stone to turn into bread so you can eat and satisfy the hunger you experience. Not only that, but he urged Christ to test the Father's limit. He said, Go, go to the go to the top of the, of the temple, throw yourself down, and let's see if God will be true to his word when he says he will cause his angel, he will, he will have his angels take charge of you to protect you so that you do not hurt yourself. He wanted Jesus to test the Father's limit. And then the third temptation, he tried to get Jesus to 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 in exchange for a power that he didn't have the authority to give. You know, suggest that if Jesus would bow his feet to worship him, that he would give him all of the earth. And Jesus said no. But in every single one of those instances where Satan tried to tempt Jesus, you notice that Jesus responded with what? Truth. Everybody say truth. He didn't respond with his opinion. He didn't respond with his, what he thought he what, what he thought was 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 what was what should be the, the right response. He responded with truth. And if the Son of God having been tempted as we are tempted, and yet he did not give in to sin, was able to overcome the enemy by truth, then what are we looking for? If you and I are to overcome the enemy every single day, when he tries to influence you and I to live lives that are not pleasing to God, the reality is that Satan continues to this day to still try to cause you and I to see God, to see God as less than who he is, to, to, to separate, to, 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 to create a distinction between truth and who God is, so that we can be able to, we can embrace a reality that is not consistent with God's will for our lives. And so here's what I want to do in these next few minutes, is focus on how we stand on truth, based on what we've read in the scripture this morning. And there's four things I want to share with you, and, and it's, not, it's not anything necessarily deep, as much as I think these are things that you, we just need to be reminded of. Because when we talk about truth, we're not just talking about um, a set of facts, or we're not simply talking about information. I want you to understand that ultimately when we talk about truth, we're talking about Christ. We're talking about the embodiment of, of the Word. Jesus is the living Word. So if we are to overcome the enemy, then we must learn to stand on the truth that is defined by who Christ is and what it represents. So here are the four things, four ways that we stand on truth this morning. Number one, we stand on truth by simply stopping, stopping our resistance to the truth. And, and, and what I mean by, this, by that is this. We need to all recognize that 
that natural to us, to this nature, this flesh of ours, is a predisposition to want to resist God. Do you understand that this morning? When you gave your heart to Christ, it did not, it did not mean that automatically you just no longer had desires or you no longer felt tempted or you were no longer drawn to things that were not pleasing to God. No. You know, we're still dealing with this flesh, this flesh that is corrupted, that is that is racked by sin. And yet, being a Christian is about each day, as Paul tells us, presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, where we make a, a conscious decision that we will resist giving in to our flesh. Why? Because we want to be, we want to give ourselves totally to living for God. And so we must remember that because it is in our nature to resist truth, that we make a decision daily that we will not resist the truth. That we will not resist the Lord's leadership in our lives, that we will not resist His will, His way for us. But not only do we talk about not resisting the truth, but we need to seek to be defined by the truth. Paul says that part of the experience that we go through when we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, is that, uh, is that we are made holy and acceptable before God. It is He who makes us presentable to the Father. And that, and that part of that experience is that he, 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 re, he renews our mind. He sanctifies our mind. And he does so how? With his truth. So the way that, the, the, so, 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 so any, any thinking, you know, motivations, you know, worldview that is not motivated by the truth of God's word, as, as we are walking with Christ, as we are seeking to, 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 to walk in step with the truth, uh, you know, he, he begins to shape our minds and, and transform our hearts so that, so that how we think, falls in line with, with how we should. How we see God is consistent with how we should see Him based on what the Word teaches. So that our expectations of God are not inconsistent with who He is. So we must not only stop resisting the truth, we must seek to be defined by the truth, but we must then walk confidently in the truth. As I'm walking with the Lord and as, as Christ is shaping my mind and shaping my heart and helping me to know what it means to, to be His follower, it's not enough for me to just simply hear the Word, but friends, now I need to do what the Word teaches me to do. You know, just, just because we're taught the word does not mean that automatically we're going to act on it. It has to be a conscious decision. It has to be a choice that we make to walk in obedience. That's why, you know, I believe it was James who talks about faith without works being dead. He said it's not enough to just simply say that you have faith. But are you allowing that faith to translate into actions? Are you allowing that faith to be translated into choices, into decisions, into, 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 into responses to the things that happen to you or around you? Because it is influenced by what the word of God teaches. So, it, so again, we are to stop resisting the truth. We must seek to be defined by the truth, but we must and we must walk confidently in the truth. And here's what here is the icing of the cake: we must trust the truth to endure. One of the things that I used to hear growing up, you know, whenever you know I would do something wrong, and and of course, you know, you know, when I was called to the carpet, I would lie. I would tell, I would, you know, I didn't do it. And my dad, my mom would always make the statement: the truth will come out. No matter what we do to try to suppress the truth, the truth will always rise to the top. And so there are many times where we look at you know, God's word and we look at the call of Christ in our lives and the things he's called us to do and to be. And, and, and we, 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 come, we, 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 we juxtapose it with the world and the world's expectations that it places on us and the pressures that the world puts on us to try to conform to its image rather than, rather than live consistent with Christ. And there are many times where we find it easy to say, well, you know what, God, you know, I, I, I don't want to cause waves, so let me just kind of... And, and we find ourselves you know, compromising. You know, when, when we're called to take a bold stand for Christ, we find ourselves 
maybe because of fear, maybe because we're, we're afraid of what we're going to be called or what, you know, the names that maybe we may be referred to or how the world may treat us because of our, our stand for Christ, that we begin to pull back and we're, we're timid and we're, 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 we're more concerned about fitting in than we are about standing out. Again, I refer you back to what happened in, in the early church when they were told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They didn't go back to their circle and say, hey guys, I mean, these guys are complaining that we're, we're, causing, too much, we're causing too much issues. I mean, we're, we're, we're stirring the pot too much. I mean, we need to kind of tone it down a little. So let's just kind of, you know, don't, 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 you know, don't, don't be too overly expressive about your faith. And just kind of tone it down. That's not what they did. They prayed, the Bible says, God, give us boldness. Because they were saying, not only do we realize that what we are doing is what we are supposed to do, but God, we realize that, you know what, the desired effect of stirring society and making society uncomfortable in sin is what we want. So God, help us to be even more bold. As the word is putting pressure on us, friends, it's not the time for us to be pulling back. We should be saying, God, give me boldness. Maybe it's on your job and, and you have a boss that's telling you, that, that, that you know that, that you shouldn't you shouldn't you know that the, your, your commitment to living for Christ and walking with integrity in your job and, and you know, doing your work as unto the Lord that, that it, it, it's, it's, it's maybe it's causing issues for others it's, it, that's not the time to pull back and say well maybe, maybe I, I need to tone down my faith no be who you are be, because of what Christ has done in your life and, and, and let that speak to others because here's the thing I, I've learned this I learned this a long time ago when people start to get uncomfortable because I'm doing the right thing then I need to keep doing the right thing. Because what's happening is they are being convicted. Let us, let us not see the world's response to what we're doing and think that it's simply because they are, that they are unhappy with us. We need to realize that it is the Spirit of God that is using our obedience to convict and, and desire for God to do more. Why? Because it's not about us simply just you know, making people uncomfortable, but it's about people realizing that, that, that a life of sin is not God's best for them. Can I tell you, again, this is how I came to faith in Christ. I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church. But, but when I started being around other young people like myself who would say that they were Christians, but yet they were making choices that were different from the choices I was making, you know, areas where I would easily compromise, they were not willing to compromise. It convicted me. I, I saw something wrong. Because I, because I thought to myself, there's no way that we can both say we're Christians and yet we're living different. And, and, and whether or not I expressed you know, discomfort with their, their, their wind, being, you know, being willing to live so that life surprised, I felt a conviction within my own heart. And it was that conviction that brought me to, brought me to a place where I said, God, I don't want to just play Christian. I want to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. You never know who is watching you. And who, who, who is seeing your, 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 your stand and your, and your living out your life of faith because, because it is based on truth. You're walking confidently in that and you're trusting that that truth will rise to the top. It will endure. That it will not, it will not, it will not be over, overwhelmed by, by all the evil around you. But that it will rise to the top to overcome. And be willing to say, God, use, use the truth that has changed my life to change somebody else's life. This is how we overcome wickedness, friends. Paul says we are to put on this belt of truth and allow it to prepare us for, 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 for all that we're going to be engaged with by the enemy. So that at the end of the day, what happens? We stand. You realize, friends, that with everything going on in the world, in the end, God is going to prevail. Evil will not remain. God has promised us. Go and read it in Revelation. God has promised us that there is coming a day where evil will be no more. 
where Satan will have no influence no more anymore. Why? Because God would God would put an end to him once and for all. And, and, and it, is to, it is to serve to remind us, friends, that, that truth will always stand. So we must never be afraid to stand by truth, to stand for truth, and to live out truth. Nothing else will equip you and I to stand against Satan better than God's word. Nothing will enable you not to be able to resist Satan better than God's word. So I encourage you, especially in the times that we're in, these are truly, friends, very difficult times. We need more of God's word, not less. We need more fervor, more passion, more desire to go deeper in our intimacy with God, not less. We need to stand on truth. We need to stand on truth. And here's the thing. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, realize this morning that, that everything I've talked about is not simply talking about us in our own effort or our own power trying to live up to some ideal that God has expressed in His Word. No. The only way we can live as His children is when we embrace Him fully. When we say, God, I will no longer try to do this by myself, but I'm going to submit to Jesus because I know that it is only through him that I can overcome. Sin in my life, I overcome through the blood of the Lamb. And that can be your testimony today, but it is only your testimony when you make that decision that you're going to embrace Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. As much as I want it for you, I cannot make that choice for you. It is your choice. It is your decision. But I'm grateful for every opportunity God gives us to make that decision. To make that choice. To say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And I want you to change my life. I, I want you to, re- to redefine my life. I want you to, I want you to shape me, to, 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 sh- to shape my life in a way that is consistent with who you are and who you want me to be. And, and that's the invitation that God makes to us today. And if that's you this morning, I encourage you, do not put this, in, this, this invitation off. Do not, do not put this opportunity aside. Today's the day, of, the day of salvation. God is inviting you to get serious with Him because He's ready to be serious with you. And He wants to do a work in your life that only He can accomplish. But I want to encourage all of us here this morning to just keep in mind, again, when we go out into the world, friends, evil is not a matter of if we're going to encounter it, it's a matter of when. And God wants you to be prepared. He wants you to be equipped. And God has provided what you need to be equipped. So that when you face evil, friend, you will stand. Evil will not overwhelm you, will not prevail against you. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Amen? Let that be our confidence today and every single day. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. And God, we are grateful to you this morning for the words of the Apostle Paul inviting us today, God, that in this fight against uh, forces of wickedness in high places, spiritual forces, Father God, that seek to undermine your will, your purpose, your plan for our lives, that how we stand against the enemy, Father, how we stand against Satan, God, is by girding our loins, Father God, with the belt of truth, allowing the truth, your truth, God, to equip us, to enable us, to prepare us, Father God, for the fight that is ahead of us. So that, God, when the enemy comes at us, God, we're not responding in our own strength or power, but we're responding with the truth of God's word. Truth that is embodied in the person of Jesus, who gave his life so that we might be victorious over the power of sin. So that we might might be victorious over our spiritual enemy. And so, God, I pray, help us to walk in truth. Help us to stand on truth. Help us to live by truth. Help us to be defined by the truth. Help us to stop resisting the truth. 
And God, help us be confident that the truth will stand. God, I pray that, Lord, in the, in the, in the highways, in the byways, in the, in the arena of life to which you've called us to be salt and light, God, we have so many opportunities, Father God, to, uh, to, to take a stand for Christ. And, and, Lord, for whatever reason, maybe we're not doing so, but, God, I pray that you would help us today to be encouraged, God, that we can do so, that we can truly stand on truth and be confident that, Lord, truth will prevail in the end. Why? Because you are a great God and there is no one like you. And God, I ask you this morning to help us all. Help us all here today to stand on truth. And whoever, whoever may be here that does not have a relationship with Jesus, God, I thank you. And even now, as you're bringing them to that moment of decision, and they're ready to make that decision to follow Christ, that God, you're responding to their faith in you, God, acknowledging that, that Jesus died to address our sin debt, and that by his sacrifice, we are forgiven of sin. And because He died for us, we have been given the right to become sons and daughters of God. And because we are sons and daughters of God, we can walk in newness of life. And we can walk in a freedom that comes from knowing You. And so, God, I just want to say thank You for what You've done and are doing in this place. And what You're going to continue to do, God, beyond this, this service today. As You, as you help us, Lord, to, to grow in truth and to walk in truth and to, and to experience the power of truth in our lives. Thank You, God, for the Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.